Welcome to a very special edition of Crown Conversations. Joining me today from sister blog, Copper in Blue, is Preston. How are you doing today, Preston? Not too bad. Yourself? Pretty good. Thanks for joining us here. Yeah, no problem. So today we are previewing the Oilers and Kings, which kicks off LA season on Saturday, October 5th. The game begins at 7 p.m. Pacific time. 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Check your local listings if you don't know what time that is for you. First off, the Kings roster is not quite set yet. We still have a couple of guys on defense who may make the team. Is there anybody like that for uh, Edmonton? Yeah, we actually got a few guys on both forward and defense. Um, A guy like Thomas Yurko, who had a really big game in Winnipeg, this past Thursday, I think he picked up three points, two goals, and one assist. Um, he actually had a look on McDavid's line, so he's a guy to keep an eye on here in Edmonton. Um, we also got Patrick Russell, who is a guy that really wasn't on Edmonton's radar until last season. Um, he had a few games up in the big leagues in this preseason. He's been lights out, so we're looking forward to see if he can make the team. And then back on defense, um, Joel Person, who was signed to a one-year deal last year, is a Swedish import defenseman. He came over, was beside Clefbaum for most of the preseason so far, but an injury has him out for the next 10 days, and Ethan Bear has really stepped up and uh, made a name for himself, and we're expecting him to be on that uh, pairing with Clefbaum to start the season. So we got a few guys here that we're waiting on. Speaking of defense, it seems like the Oilers have always had a couple of holes on, uh, on the blue line. What is it looking like this year, especially if person can come back and really become a fierce once he's healthy? Well, our yeah, our defense has been uh, quite awful. It's kind of our trademark here in Edmonton for the past uh, decade, I'd say. Um, but things are really changing around in that aspect. You know, we've drafted guys like uh, Caleb Jones, um, Evan Bouchard, and uh, Philip Roberg are the crown jewels of that defensive group. Um, as in terms of what it's going to look like this year, um, it's going to be sadly more of the same, I think. Um, we got rid of Andre Sekera. He's in Dallas now. And uh, Clefbaum is probably going to be paired with Pearson, who has never played an NHL game. So it's still a little bit of a wild card there with Pearson. Uh, Ethan Bear has had an extended look in the NHL a few seasons ago. He looked good, but it seems like he took back a step back in the development last year. Again, he has been impressive this preseason, so hopefully that changes. 
Um, Darnell Nurse is going to be paired up with Adam Larson as a shutdown pair, um, as per Dave Tippett. And it's looked really hot and cold on them so far. They've had moments where they've looked good, and it's like they've had moments where they've looked pretty not great. Um, and then, of course, our bottom pairing, Chris Russell, Matt Benning, pretty solid bottom pairing, but, you know, it could always be better. So it's always looking, it's looking like another meh season for the Raiders defense. Chris Russell, always the crown jewel of the Edmonton media. Does he get an unfair rap a little bit with hockey fans, maybe? And, you know, in limited minutes on the third pairing, he's actually not that bad? Yeah, no, I agree with that quite a bit. I think much of uh, the disdain for Russell comes from his cap hit. Um, Obviously, at the 4.4 contract, it's way too much for him. But if you take that out of the equation and you look at what he does on the ice, as a third-pairing defenseman with limited minutes, he's actually a pretty solid bet. So, yeah, I do think he gets a bad rep from uh, the Edmonton media and fans alike. So Dave Tippett is known for his defense. Um, he was, especially in his days, heydays with the Coyotes, they were actually a really good shutdown team. What are you expecting to see from uh, Tippett's team this year? Uh, yeah, I know there have been lots um, on uh, Tippett about his defensive style of game, but I actually think he is a really good all-around coach. I think he works well in both ends of the ice. Um, that being said, I think there will be an emphasis on defense as it has been a weakened, weakness in Edmonton uh, over the past few years. So I think what we're going to see this year in the Dave Tippett system is that high-end guys like McDavid, Dryasel, Nugent Hopkins are going to be coming back a little more. They're not going to always be on that attack mode like we're used to them seeing. So I think that could result in less points maybe by the big guns like McDavid and Drysell, but I think that will result in less goals against, which is uh, something that is obviously welcome. No more winning games 6-5, eh? No, hopefully not. That's uh, something this team can't do. If we get into those run-and-gun games, we usually end up on the poorer side of it, so hopefully not. It's interesting you say that because you have such dynamic players with McDavid and Dreisaitl and and Nuge. Yeah, it's uh, the problem is I think we're too top heavy right now. Like we have these fantastic players. We have McDavid. We have Dreisaitl. We have Nuge. Any other team would love to have that core, and we do as well. We do love having them as well. But the thing is, we have no guys to surround that core with so what we're having right now is a lack of wingers to support those top end players and that just throws everything out of whack when those players are doing it all by themselves sure makes sense i've seen that with my own team yeah um so the kings and the oilers actually have uh quite a bit in common there was uh, milan lucic but also more recently todd mcclellan so uh, what was it about McClellan when he was in Edmonton that ultimately led to him not being quite as successful as one had really hoped for? Well, one of the things that I was critical of McClellan here, especially in his latter days in Edmonton, the last season especially, is that he had a reliance on veterans like Lucic who weren't performing. And he had a kind of, I wouldn't say disdain, but he had a preference to play younger players further down in the lineup and put them in situations where it was harder to, to succeed. Um, a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi, he's a skilled guy. I understand he hasn't been in the league that long, 
But when he's playing on the fourth line with guys like Kyle Brodziak and um, yet or Jujar Kara, a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi isn't going to produce in that type of role. So that's something that I was very critical on him about. Um, also, some of his uh, special teams work was um, when it wasn't going well, he didn't change up the system in times where I really thought he should. Um, that being said, I do think Todd McClellan is a fantastic coach. Um, he kind of got an unfair shake here in Edmonton because we as a market are very critical and very on top of our coaches and management. So uh, I think he didn't get a fair shake here in Edmonton. Wasn't uh, Peter Chiarelli finally uh, dismissed up there? Yes. Was that a happy day for you? Oh, that was a fantastic day for me. Um, I was actually right outside the, the arena here has a little window into the media room. So people on the outside can, can kind of look in and they have speakers. I was right there and I was interviewed by CTV News and I was all joy when that happened. Well, hopefully that's the start of things looking up for Edmonton. Hopefully, hopefully. Ken Holland has looked good so far. I'm not uh, overly critical of him right now, so that's good. So we did kind of uh, talk about Lucic a little bit. He is now a Calgary Flame, which I've never really seen GMs trade within their own division, let alone to their biggest rival if they can help it. Yeah, no, that was a that was a trade that has been that was rumored for quite a long time before it actually happened, and no one really gave it that much uh, credibility until it actually happened. So. Took me off guard for sure, um, but as an Oilers fan, I thought it was a fantastic deal. You guys got James Neal in the in the swap. Do you think that's a better fit for the Oilers? I think so, yeah, because with Lucic, you kind of got a one-dimensional player um, who's not really being able to keep up with the new NHL, and he's just slow, and he was brought in to be like the quote-unquote protection for McDavid, but there came a point where he stopped doing that as well, so the one thing he was known for, he kind of stopped doing, and he fell off favor with Empton quite a bit after that. Um, but with James Neal, the thing about him is that he would, he's been a 20-goal scorer every year in his career except for last season, so I think it's uh, reasonable to believe that he can bounce back and maybe he won't get the 20 goals but maybe he'll get 15 goals and right now in Edmonton 15 goals from a guy like James Neal on maybe the second line if he doesn't do well maybe on the third line that can go a long way for us because secondary scoring has been an issue for us also swapping teams basically are Mike Smith and uh, Cam Talbot so as I understand it the Oilers let Cam Talbot walk in free agency is that correct no, we actually traded uh, Cam Talbot near the trade deadline last season to Philadelphia in exchange for Alex Stallars, and we let Stallars walk, and I believe Philadelphia let uh, Cam Talbot walk. Yes, uh, Cam Talbot signed with Calgary over the summer. Yeah. So you guys have uh, Mike Smith now. Mike Smith is not known for, well, for being good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mike Smith, um, that was a signing I was critical of at first. Um, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe last season in Calgary was an outlier. Um, you can kind of see his numbers trending down the last couple of years. So hoping he can have a renaissance season and uh, help us in net because right now we need it. 
I believe he is 32. Because you also have Koskinen, who is 37. No, it's 30... the other way around. Ah, yes, you're right. Koskinen is 31, and then Mike Smith is 37. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, We have some aging goalies here, and we also have goalies. Both goalies need to prove themselves this year, because Koskinen, as good as he was last year, you know, I didn't find him to be terrible. But I thought he was a decent starting goalie. Um, a lot of people have differing opinions on that, of course. Um, but coming into this year, Koskinen really has to live up to that four by four contract that uh, Peter Shrelly signed before he was canned. So um, just a lot of uncertainty right now around our goaltending here in Edmonton. Do you think it's time for a new era of goaltenders in Edmonton? I think I think so for for sure. Um, and we do have a pipeline of goalies um, up and coming here. I know we have Shane Start in the AHL who had a fantastic year with the Bakersfield Condors. Um, we also have guys like Stuart Skinner. We have Dylan Wells. Oliver Rodrigue is going to be in contention for Team Canada's World Junior uh, roster this upcoming December. So that's going to be exciting to watch. So I think help is on the way, but not for two or three years yet so we still gotta see what we got here so mike smith could potentially be a decent transition yeah he could be a decent transition at the age of 37 i'm not really expecting him to be here that long um i actually think he's going to be gone next summer i can't imagine noiler signing a 38 year old goalie at the end of the year to an extension um, of course, we are stuck with Koskinen for the next four years on a deal that I'm very critical of as well. Um, and we're just hoping to God that he can put together a good season here and a good couple of seasons on that contract. So, Yeah, four and a half million per year seems a lot for somebody who really should be relegated to the role of backup. Yes, um, and I think it all comes down to the timing of the contract. He was signed... I think it was literally a day before Peter Shirelli got fired. And uh, Bob Nicholson, who's our uh, president of hockey operations up here, he said that that decision was a group decision, but I have a suspicion that Peter Shirelli signed that because he knew he was going to get fired, so he had to get one last deal in to kind of stick it to the Oilers. That's my theory. But, uh, yeah, not a good look on Koskinen or that contract there. All right, so we did talk about the Oilers' big three. But who's kind of a a lesser-known name that perhaps opened a lot of eyes at training camp or someone who has really been kind of flying under the radar? Because, I mean, it's it's really hard to compete media-wise when you have Connor McDavid, Dreisaitl, and and Nugent Hopkins. Um, I do think James Neal did did show very well here at training camp. I think... uh, that his play here has uh, raised his expectations. I think a lot of people expect him to return to that 20-goal status. Um, also, the aforementioned Ethan Bear. He's a guy that a lot of people didn't think would be in the conversation for being on the starting lineup on opening night for the Edmonton Oilers. But he has looked really good. It looks like he's gotten faster. He's moving the puck very well. And he's scoring, too. His offensive instincts look to be at the NHL level right now. So I think that's... Uh, 
that's a guy not a lot of people have heard of that could actually have a pretty decent year here in Edmonton. And um, in terms of a player who won't be starting the year with Edmonton, but might find some significant time with the team over the course of the season, is Evan Bouchard, who has looked fantastic in preseason. He moves the puck, I would argue, better than most of the Oilers on the opening night roster. And he's got a hell of a slap shot. So I'm excited to see when he eventually becomes a permanent fixture on the Oilers. Do you think he's probably like, you know, the first injury call-up? I think he would be very close to the first injury call-up. The only reason I can see him not being it is Ken Holland has that reputation for percolating his prospects in the minors for maybe a little more longer than they need to. But uh, I think he is going to make so, so good of a case that they have to bring him up. So, yeah. For sure. So with the optimism looking like it's probably hopefully going to be in Edmonton's favor this year, do you think they actually stand a legitimate chance of making the playoffs? Um, the realist in me wants to say no, but the optimist in me, being an Oilers fan and all, wants to say there is a chance. Um, a lot of things have to go right. Of course, McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins have to continue uh, scoring at the career-high paces that they have been the past few, few years. Um, everything on defense has to work out super fine. We can't have any of those injuries. Um, I know last year, Oscar Clefbaum got injured, and that just derailed the season um, in like mid-November to December. So stuff like that can't happen. And then, of course, goaltending. That's the, that's the X factor for this team. If they get good goaltending, I think any team with Connor McDavid can make the playoffs. So there is optimism in me, but realistically, I don't think there's that big of a chance that they make the playoffs. Do you think they're at least a bubble team? Yeah, I would classify them as a bubble team. There's still a few pieces away. Like I said, uh, their wings are way too barren for them to be a legitimate contender and a 100% playoff team. So if that gets shored up or if they get guys like Thomas Yurko scoring at unreal paces, then then they'll be a, a playoff team. Edmonton versus Los Angeles. What do you think is going to happen? These teams have bounced back and forth a lot over the years. Yeah, actually, funny story. I believe in that one playoff year that we had, our playoff clinching game came against the Kings. And that was uh, a goal scored by Eric Griba was a game winner. Griba, of course, recently retired. So every time I think of the Kings, I always think back to that that great moment in Oilers history. Yes, I, I remember that game very painfully. <laughs> it started the end of the Lombardi era, finally. <laughs> um, as for a prediction for October 5th, I'm going to go with my guys up here in Edmonton. I think we're going to have a 4-1 game in our favor. I'm pretty cocky prediction, but I'm holding true to my guys. You know what? The Kings have a history of losing on opening night, so you may not be that far off. <laughs> Real quickly before we wrap this up, was there anything that you saw during preseason to really give you hope for tippets here or that really concerned you a lot for uh, Tippett's team over this coming season? Um, I've seen a few good positives. Um, maybe not for this season, but maybe for the future. I really liked a lot of what Edmonton had from our young guns. 
Um, guys like Tyler Benson, Kirill Maximov, um, Evan Bouchard, Caleb Jones, those type of guys. I think we, for the first time in a long time, Edmonton actually has depth on all three positions for um, their prospects. So we have finally have some solid forward prospect depth. Our defense pipeline is crazy, and we have like four or five goalies coming up as well. So I think that's something that really I had a full realization of over the course of training camp. Um, in terms of the upcoming season, I do have concerns about the goaltending. I'm very concerned about Empton's goaltending. Um, Koskinen hasn't looked great in preseason to date, and Mike Smith has looked meh so far. So that's something that I'm really concerned about. Um, positives, I think we have seen a little bit of Tippett's system put in place, and I actually do like it quite a bit. Um, an emphasis on defense, which is something this team needs. And it does look like there's a buy-in by most of the core players on Edmonton. So if that buy-in continues, who knows? Anything can happen. So, All right. Well, good luck to the Oilers this season. Let's see if uh, McDavid can work his miracle magic. Yeah, good luck to the Kings this season <laughs> as well. Thanks, and thank you again for joining me. Yeah, no problem. We are going to take a super short break, and when we come back, we will be speaking with Michael, Managing Editor from Matchsticks and Gasoline. Hello, and welcome back to Crown Conversations. Joining me now is Michael, Managing Editor from sister blog, Matchsticks and Gasoline. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Not a problem at all. How's your night going so far? Uh, it's pretty good. I'm just catching the Flames last preseason game, and it's going all right so far. We're finally uh, getting wound down here on the preseason. I feel like preseason lasted forever. Yeah, totally. It's like one of those things that you wait for it to get there, but then once it's kind of started, you're like, all right, how long is till this is done? Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of preseason... Was there anything at all in the last couple of weeks that really gave you hope for the future or really concerned you? Maybe bad habits or anything like that? It was kind of an interesting preseason because a lot of it here in Calgary was obviously waiting for the Matthew Kachuk domino to fall, and it finally did just a few days ago. So a lot of it was kind of just, all right, we kind of know who's already on the team. Let's just see how a few of these PTO guys do and... uh how some of the kids do, but for the most part, we kind of knew what the roster was going to look like coming into it. So there wasn't a lot of extra things going on this preseason compared to past years. The Flames had a couple of interesting names on PTO. Were they just to fill out the roster for the season? Was there any real shot for them? Well, it's been kind of interesting. So they came to camp with five PTOs, uh, Zach Ronaldo, Alex Grenier, Tobias Reeder, Andrew McDonald, and the fifth one's Devontae Smith-Pelly. That's who it is. So, so far we've seen Grenier and Smith-Pelly just today being released from their PTOs. Ronaldo and McDonald are still sticking around on that, and Tobias Reeder has actually just signed a contract with the team, so he'll probably be sticking around as kind of like a 13th forward type. And a lot of people are saying it sounds like the other two might get some sort of contract, whether that's something that sees them start in the AHL, but they've looked all right. They've kind of, I thought they were kind of just coming in as camp bodies, but they've actually made a bit of an impact here in the preseason. Uh, 
McDonald has gotten roasted for his play in Philadelphia, and Ronaldo has also been widely known as really just a face puncher. Well, yeah, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, so I know people in Philadelphia love to roast their players, and I would say it was pretty deserved at times. He, um, from what I've been told, we actually one of our writers on our site's actually also a Flyers fan as well. It sounds like what he is is a pretty good six, seven defender. It's when he has to be put in like a top four role when guys get hurt. That that's when you really see the flaws in his game. I don't really have an issue with him sticking around in that six, seven role. Luckily, the Flames are deep enough to kind of accommodate that. Ronaldo, on the other hand, I really don't think he adds a bunch to the team, so I'd be fine if he's just a guy they stick in the uh, AHL this fall. You think he would actually go to the Heat? Um, that's what people are kind of talking about. I'm not sure if he'd end up do like I'm not sure if he wants to do that, but uh, that seems like probably the only way his contract would at least start out with the team. Okay, makes sense. Um, speaking of Flames defense, it's either really young or it's pretty much on the cusp of getting old. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we've got Mark Giordano, of course. He's yeah. 35 this year, and he just came off a Norris Trophy. So we're hoping he kind of keeps that up. But uh, you never know once they get to that age. He's fought it pretty well. He actually be- just came in first in Flames fitness testing. So that's pretty impressive for him. Best shape of his life. Oh, sorry, that's a King's joke. Um, <laughs> anyway. well, we get lots of that out here. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> uh, but Noah Hannafin is 22. Um, uh, Rasmus Anderson, 22. Oliver Kylington, 22. Everybody else is like 29. So yeah, The Flames really like that uh, symmetry on their back end. Do you think having so many young, well, I guess it's really only three, but I mean, half your blue line is pretty young. Do you think that's really any cause for concern with their, uh, their ability to contend? Well, actually, Rasmus Anderson, uh, he's kind of the one guy I'd really point out to of those young guys. Last year, he came into camp. We were kind of expecting him to maybe fight for a job but be a Stockton player most of the year. He came in and fought really hard and took that uh, third pairing right-hand side job and then by the end of the year he made enough strides he was actually getting a fair chunk of ice time up with Mark Giordano on the top pairing and it's very possible we could actually see that again this year because he's really made some good strides in his game I know the Flames are really high on him and I think I am too um Oliver Kylington he's a name I'm familiar with from watching him torment my reign <laughs> Um, what is he, what's expected of him? I mean, he's another one of those 22 year olds, but is he kind of like another surprise that really came into camp? He performed really well. So what I would say about him is that he's kind of a, he's, he's very good offensively, but his defense, his own game still really needs some work. And my thought kind of coming into the season when he was, he was going to fight for like that six, seven job. But I think he's really struggled to win over the coaching staff and the management. I think we see that by them bringing in Andrew McDonald. They just brought back Michael Stone after they bought him out last week. I think the Flames aren't super comfortable with their 6-7 position right now. And I could actually see them sending down Shillington to the minors just to uh, get his game up a little bit. Just because he's not quite there yet, in my opinion. Okay. 
Um, Noah Hannafin was a highly touted prospect when he was drafted, and then he sort of disappointed in Carolina. How has he done in his first year with the Flames? I thought he was pretty consistent, which for on a on the blue line, I guess, is a pretty good thing these days in the NHL. Just uh, somebody that could throw. He actually um, was paired up most of the year with Travis Hamnick and. Hamnick was someone who struggled coming to Calgary after that big trade the, the year before. The two of them actually formed a really strong second pairing for the Flames that's almost been untouchable while the first pair and third pair have seen some swapping around this summer. I, I think he's, I don't know, it's hard to say. He's 22, but he's already got 320 NHL games under his belt. And he's getting better points-wise each year. I think he's a solid defender, and I'm glad they have him locked up long-term, but... He still needs some work. He still makes a few decisions. The defenses only kind of make you scratch your head, but we definitely saw some progression with him last year in Calgary. To be fair, I mean, Drew Daddy is often touted as, you know, one of the world's best defenders, and there are often times when I'm sitting there going, what are you doing? <laughs> so <laughs> He's human. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, Calgary had an interesting summer. They traded with their biggest rival, um, the the Oilers, and they traded James Neal for Milan Lucic. What was your first reaction to that trade? Well, because there have been some people floating it around as an idea for probably a couple weeks before it actually happened. I'm like, okay, these are just some people trying to stir the pot between the two fan bases, but... I didn't love the trade at the time because obviously it seems like a downgrade James Neal for Milan Lucic, but when he really broke it down, Neal was probably the worst Calgary Flame last season, which is a title that at times was hard to earn. He was just, he was slow. He was behind the play. He didn't really create any offense. And I'm not shocked the Flames moved on from him. And Lucic, uh, he's an interesting addition. I'll say that much. Well, it's a very political answer. I love it. Yeah, the only thing I'd say about Lucic is that the Flames seem to have kindly or kind of accepted that he's a bottom six grinder. It looked like at times the Oilers, who were kind of forced by their depth to push him with the top six, and that's where you really saw he's just not capable to play at that level anymore. But I would say in the preseason, Lucic has actually impressed Flames fans more than uh, confirmed any... Uh, negative thoughts they had about him he's actually been pretty solid he was on the first power play unit the other night it didn't look half bad even though we were wincing every time went near him like i think he'll be he'll fill a role on the team that the flames really haven't filled before and i think with that even though his contract is gonna suck he's as long as he's filling a role i think i'm okay with him on the team it'll be really interesting if he finds a good landing spot with calgary and i wouldn't be surprised if he does i feel like just personality-wise, Calgary really fits who Lucic is. Yeah, totally. He's um, he's really hardworking. Oh, actually, just as we're speaking, he just scored a preseason goal against the Oilers, so oh. that's funny. But yeah, he's um, he's come in. He's really worked hard, and uh, his skating like that's the one thing everyone gets on about. He's he's finding a way to stay in the play and. I think he just fits what this team's looking for really well. He doesn't have to be the big leadership guy on the team. He doesn't have to be the guy that tries to stir the pot. He can just go out and be big, get in front of the net, try and win a few puck battles, and that's really all the Flames need from him, I'd say. 
Well, good luck to Lucic in uh, in Calgary this year. Hopefully, hopefully it's a good one for him. Yeah, the fans really like him. They they always seem to get behind some of these guys who other teams have cast off or people are doubting. So I'd like to see him have a decent year and kind of rub it in the face of our Oiler fans up north. <laughs> yes, the the Oilers fans are very happy that he is no longer on their team. Yeah, just wait till they see James Neal. That's all I have to say to them. <laughs> oh, I love this rivalry. <laughs> it's it's um, a lot of fun. It is. You know, when when you can have a... You know, well, because you guys are also in, like, such close proximity. I think you guys... I mean, Edmonton and Calgary, I think it's probably even closer than this big rivalry that the Kings and the Sharks have. I mean, the Kings and the Sharks are separated by 300-plus miles. Yeah, Edmonton's just a uh, 300k away, two and a half, three hour drive. It's uh, not too far once you get going. So it's fun to poke fun at them and watch them try to do it back, but then realize their team's way worse. So, And their team has the biggest star in the world. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's funny when you think about how they have the best player in the world, but they just have nothing really around him outside of Dry Seidel, Nugent Hopkins, that's about it. They just grabbed Mike Smith, too, from us. That was a whole another swapping debacle this summer that this province just went nuts for. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, the the Flames seemed like, you know, losing Smith is uh, addition by subtraction. And then you guys signed uh, Cam Talbot, who was really good in Edmonton. I know he's 32, but... 2.75 that's a ridiculously good deal for any goalie yeah that's what they have uh, both Riddick and Talbot at this year which I think is a good kind of balance they're both kind of fighting for the starting job although I would say it's Riddick's job to lose right now he's been really solid last year before he actually had an injury that kind of slowed him down towards the end I think that's why we saw Smith in the playoffs and I'll give Smith credit he was actually quite good down the stretch and into the playoffs for the team but I think he just burned too many bridges in the regular season. So I'm kind of excited to see what Cam Talbot can do instead. He had a unceremonious exit from Edmonton via Philly. So this province is aching for a few of these storylines that are going to come up. Unfortunately, the teams, I believe, don't play each other until December. So we won't get to see a lot of that yet. Ah, oh, so long to wait. Yeah, we're eating up these preseason games because that's the best we're going to get for now. I am really excited to usher in the era of Big uh, Big Save Dave, but I have to know, when are we going to see Gillies? When is it going to be Gillies' era? Um, I'm going to say never at this point. Really? Yeah, he came out. So basically the thought was on Gillies heading into the last year was that, okay, maybe he needed like one more year to kind of get things shored up in Stockton. But after Smith left... He would kind of come up and be the backup to Riddick, and they'd kind of form a tandem. Gillies just had a terrible year in Stockton. Then he followed that up with an awful preseason this year, and now he's kind of the odd man out, both in Calgary and Stockton, between the Flames having a new Russian prospect goalie, Artem Zagadulin, who has been very good in the preseason, and then Tyler Parsons, who was a second-round pick in 2016, like, there's really not a spot for Gillies right now, and he's kind of on his way out in the organization for everything it looks like. Well, that's disappointing. He was so good in college, and everybody was so excited when he was with the Flames, and he just kind of never really amounted to that. 
Yeah, he had a few games here and there where it's like, okay, he's the guy of the future, but he just hasn't capitalized. He was supposed to follow the same kind of path that uh, Big Save Dave did, where he kind of got his feet wet in the HL for a few years and then came up and saved the day in Calgary, and that just didn't happen for him. I wouldn't be shocked if he's out of the organization even before Christmas, just because they really don't have a spot for him to play outside of the ECHL at this point. So who is um, who is the closest NHL ready? You know, God forbid something happens. Knock on wood, nothing does. But yeah, knock on wood. It, it happens. Th- th- things can happen. Sometimes you can have five goalies uh, mysteriously come down with groin injuries. Um, so you know, who would come up as as the the next big thing for Calgary? Well, that's kind of the issue with this is that Gillies is the only goalie in the system right now that has NHL experience. But he's also looked the worst out of the three AHL-level goalies they've had. So they're kind of stuck in the middle right now. Because Zagadulin, who played in the KHL last year and had a very good season over there, has been the best of the three in the preseason. So I would say he would probably get a shot. But I know the organization might give Gillies a shot just because he's had the NHL experience. But it's kind of a mess once you get past the solidified 1-2 in Calgary right now. Oh, I feel that. That's always a scary thought when you're looking at it going, ooh, hopefully nothing happens. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's uh, fingers crossed there, especially with uh, the luck this team has had in the crease since the uh, Kipper era. Uh, what about Tyler Parsons? Or is he really just starting his pro career and they're like, no, no, not even close? I, I'm not sure. I think it might actually just come down to how some of these guys start off the year in Stockton because – Parsons has had stretches in his uh, junior pro career that have been really good, but other stretches where it's like, okay, I'm not sure what this guy's going to be. Between some injuries and uh, other, he's had some mental health issues, which he's been open about. Mm. He's only actually played about 27 games in Stockton in the last two years, so he really doesn't even have a ton of pro experience outside of uh, 30 games in the ECHL as well. So it's really hard to say who the Flames would go with outside outside their top two. So right now it's really just hope and pray nothing happens. For now, yeah. We'll see who kind of takes the reins in Stockton. Sounds like it's kind of a wide open thing right now, but yeah, we're just going to pray nothing happens for at least probably the first month, I'd say. All right. So um, Calgary's uh, really big three are probably Kachuk, Gaudreau, and Monaghan. Well, I guess if you want to include Backlund in that, but he's not really, well, he's 30. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so who would you consider somebody who's really good, but it really flies under the radar? Somebody who could be like a difference maker. Well, there's Elias Lindholm who had that big breakout year last year because he got to play up with uh, Gaudreau and Monaghan. He went from 40 points in Carolina to almost 80 in Calgary. So he's really good. He kind of plays a PK, PP. He can play center as well. So I've really liked him. But somebody kind of that middle to bottom six that I've really liked as the flame is uh, Derek Ryan. He kind of just flies under the radar. He's not the biggest guy for the bottom six, but I believe he was fourth in the NHL in faceoff percentage at 58%. He got 38 points for the second straight year. I think he's kind of one of those guys that if injuries happen the top six, he can jump in and the top six won't miss a beat. He's also very defensively responsible, which I know is a big thing in today's NHL. And uh, 
Bill Peter seems to really like him. He gets a lot of good opportunities when uh, changes need to be made. Um, speaking of Bill Peters, he's a relatively new coach up up there in Calgary. So how is it? How has the team looked under him? I know he had a little bit of questionable moments in in Carolina. Um, so far it's been pretty smooth sailing. Like uh, last year, the start was a little bit shaky, but that kind of always happens with a new coach and a new system. But after that, the team took off. They finished first in the West. Like, the regular season, there were almost no issues with it. It was kind of in the, the playoffs where the wheels kind of fell off. But that was also his first time in the playoffs. I think people are kind of willing to give him a pass and see if what he's learned for this year. Interesting. Um, could you chalk up their success last year to 2015, in which they had like a ridiculously high PDO or whatever. Last year is actually for the most part, all the numbers seem to point that as like a pretty well earned first finish. I know obviously you do need some of a season as that, but for the most part, it was a well earned. Like the possession numbers were strong, the goaltending was pretty average, which that's all this team really needs. But they had the uh, top end talent and some really good defending. I think it was a well-earned. It wasn't a uh, find-away flames like 2015, which is what they were called at the time. <laughs> yeah, that, that 2015 team, uh, they eliminated the Kings, so I'm still a little bitter about that. Yes, even four years later. I was at that game. That was probably one of the best games in recent memory to be at. I'm sorry about that. Eh, that's okay. Uh, Matthew Kachuk is our favorite villain, and he has a well-known history now with Drew Doughty. He just signed a ridiculous deal. Seven million, three years. Uh, is he worth that? A hundred percent. In my opinion, this is just my thoughts on it, but I would say Matthew Kachuk is actually perhaps the most important flame on the entire roster right now. Why do you say that? I think it's because, so they got Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan who are going to put the puck in the net, but Kachuk has really excelled at being a really good defensive forward that still puts up, I believe he finished with 78 points last year. Like, he's really, he's a really well, well-rounded well player. He seems to have uh, pretty good leadership abilities. He's already got an assistant captaincy, and he really seems like the guy that the Flames are going to really want to buy into long-term, perhaps even give the next C2 after Giordano retires. Wow, that's that's a lot for him. Yeah, especially and the rest of the league hates him, so that's kind of why I love him too. He's uh, we I had to deal he... with Corey Perry all those years, so I'm kind of glad we have somebody like that now. Yeah, he's he's the West's new Corey Perry. Oh gosh, uh, the Matthew Kachuk origin stories; those are going to be fun, especially given who his dad <laughs> is. Oh yeah, for sure they're uh, they're all over it here. The one thing I will say about Kachuk is he's kind of calm down on his recklessness like that first year he was just going after anything that moved trying to stir up crap pretty much every time he was on the ice he's kind of calmed down with that a little bit but he'll still throw a few punches if he needs to or give a guy a little jab just to get things going that's what I really like about him is that he's very smart with what he does he's not quite as wild as he used to be I would say so it sounds like he's matured a little bit he'll always be that instigator type who kind of likes to push the envelope but he's learned when and where to kind of hedge his bets so to speak 
Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it was, he had over 105 minutes of penalties in his first year, but the last two years, it's been around 60 minutes. So that's, that cuts down a lot of the uh, time he's in the box. And with how skilled he is, the Flames only do better when he's on the ice. Obviously, he's still going to get penalty minutes because he's Matthew Kachuk, but he also draws a lot of penalties too. So it kind of cancels that out, which is nice. Yeah. So the, the Kings and the Flames, they will see each other in LA's second game of the season. Uh, it'll be really exciting because all the media is going to do is talk about uh, Drew Doughty and Matthew Kachuk. So what I want to know is who do you think is in whose head more? I mean, I'm kind of biased on it, but I haven't heard Kachuk talking about Doughty almost at all recently, but then I've heard Doughty talking about Kachuk quite a bit. But I think it's always a fun, even battle between the two of them when they play. They bo- they're both great competitors. They're both great players. It's really fun to see them go at it for... 60 minutes a night, five times a year kind of thing. For what it's worth, I, I think that Kachuk is definitely in is renting space in, in Drew's head. Yeah, I think that kind of happens sometimes, when he, when especially when he came in as a rookie and threw that pretty dirty elbow, I'd have to say, and then kind of just took off from there. And yeah, I, it's fun. It's kind of given spark to a rivalry between these two teams that really didn't have a lot of hatred for each other before all this, so... I'm kind of happy it's shown up. Yeah, maybe it finally gives this team's, uh, this team being the Kings, uh, finally gives them something to get up for. They've had a yeah, lot totally. of... Yeah, <laughs> totally. Sorry, go well, ahead. Chucks, I'm pretty sure, given it, like every team in the Pacific a new rivalry with us, which is uh, interesting at times when all the other seven teams in division hate your guts because of one guy. But, you know, I guess that's the bridge you have to cross when you're becoming a better team and you got a guy like Kachuk on your team. And he does really, his skill level does help Calgary and put them as contenders for sure. Yeah, totally. When he's, so before last year, he was like a, he was around 50 points. He was a solid player, but last year he really jumped into that discussion where he could even get some top line minutes this year. Although the top line of Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Lindholm has been so good, but Kachuk, I think would be a first line player if there wasn't that much chemistry between the top three guys. Like he's, he's slowly making his way in the conversation that maybe he was even the second best player drafted in that 2016 draft. So do you see any real holes with the flames? It, it seems like they're pretty well set. The, I, I don't know, this is kind of a tired narrative in Calgary, but it's always kind of going to come down to how the goaltending holds up. I'm a big supporter of Big Save Dave, but he's still kind of unproven, but I think he's he's going to be a solid number one. I don't know too much about Talbot. He's had shaky moments in the preseason, but has really started to round into form towards the end. So I'd kind of say goaltending, but outside of that, like the forward core is really deep right now. They're actually probably going to be sending down some guys who a couple of years ago would have been on the team, no questions asked. And then the blue line right now, unless there's any major injuries, they look pretty solid as well. So what's your prediction for the Flames this season? I don't know if they quite get to that same point total they were last year because 107 points or 106, I believe it was, was a little bit ridiculous for what we were expecting. I would say they kind of put the target on their back this year with such a good regular season that teams who might have taken them lightly heading into last year might not do it this year. 
But in this division, which I think we could say is not the best right now, I could see them definitely contending for the divisional crown, maybe somewhere around 100 points again. But all, it really, all that really matters right now in this city is how they do after the season's over, how they do in the playoffs. Like, no one really... There's not as much focus on just making the playoffs anymore. It's how far they're going to get once they get there. And what do you think uh, will happen in this game on Tuesday? The well, I'd like seven? to see the Flames win. Yeah, I think Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. And then probably, I think it's a couple weeks weeks later as well. We're going to get a lot of good Kachuk Doughty here in the first few weeks of the season. Uh, game prediction. Score. Score prediction. Hmm. I would say, since it's in Calgary, I would say 4-2 for the Flames with Kachuk getting at least two points just to rub it in Doughty's face a little bit. I would absolutely not be surprised if that was the case. Actually, I was thinking it was probably going to be more like 4-1. I'm a little bit hard on my team. I'm thinking the Flames might give Cam Talbot a go that night, and we'll see how that goes. So maybe 4-2 for me, at least. It should be an interesting season. I'm really looking forward to seeing if Dowdy has managed to evict his resident tenant or if if Kachuk has, has really taken up a permanent residency in there. I wouldn't blame him if Kachuk has, because he seems to have done that with a number of guys in the league, and it's uh, from our perspective, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Well, good luck to the Flames this season. Thanks so much for joining me today, Michael. Not a problem. Thanks for having me in, and good luck to you guys as well. Once again, I'd like to thank both of my guests, Preston from Copper and Blue and Michael from Matchsticks and Gasoline. Follow their blogs for all things Alberta. Coming up next in part two of our series, as this is only part one, coming up next in part two of our three-part series of the Pacific Division preview will be Vegas and Vancouver. As I'm sure you know, the Kings will play Vancouver after Calgary before returning back to Los Angeles for their own home opener. So stay tuned for that. And if you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter. I am at Robin underscore JFTC or holler on the main Jewels from the Crown account at JFTC Kings, both on Twitter or leave a comment below, especially if you have any questions, if there's anything that you're just dying to know about either Vegas or Vancouver or any of the other Pacific Division teams. Let me know.